0: Father, you have taught us so many wonderful things in the book of Hebrews about your grace and about the access we have to, to your very throne through Jesus Christ, about the rest we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, how if we don't enter that rest, uh, we're not even part of your kingdom. And so you've taught us those great truths and, and, and they're so important and so they blessed us so much. Uh, and today, Lord, as we go into this last chapter, you're going to give us a list of exhortations on how we're to apply those great truths. And so uh, I just ask that you bless this study, Lord. Teach us what it means to have brotherly love to, to, with one another, what that truly means, and, and show us the only way that we can have that through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just ask that you, you bless our study again by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. If you looked at the bulletin today The title of the message is Kumbaya I don't know if you remember the old folk song Kumbaya It actually, the word Kumbaya Comes from an African word uh, That means To be close with people To be in harmony with people uh, And uh, to have Unity with people And so, and unity with God But over time The word has taken on a Uh, Secular meaning, and it's come to mean this, uh, uh, I would say, uh, superficial uh, love for all of mankind. Or maybe you could say uh, uh, for this uh, naive belief in the harmony and unity of mankind. Uh, It involves, now if you're going to have kumbaya in the secular world, then then uh, you're going to have to have tolerance for everybody and everything. That's what it, when you, everybody talks about kumbaya, that's what they're talking about. It's this utopian idea that somehow we can all get together, sit around the fire and hold hands and sing kumbaya. And everything will be okay. You know, we have a president that's sort of a, and I don't want to get political here. I'm just, uh, you might be a Barack Obama fan, so I'm not putting him down, but but he's kind of a kumbaya sort of guy. I mean, he believes that if if we're nice to other countries and that if we'll just sit down and hold hands with them and talk with them, then they're going to be nice with us. And so he structured this Iranian nuclear deal and he's singing kumbaya and they're singing death to America. So somehow it doesn't seem to be working. I mean, kumbaya is even hard to find in the church. I mean, it's really hard to find, even in the church. I'm reminded of a joke I heard years ago about a pastor who was taking his daily walk, and he came to this bridge, and there was this guy standing on the bridge, and he was about to jump, and the pastor yelled, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" And then the guy said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because nobody loves me," and the pastor said, "God loves you. Do you believe in God?" And the man said. Yes, I'm a Christian. And the pastor said, well, I'm a Christian too. I'm a pastor. He said, uh, uh, are you a Catholic or are you a Protestant? The man said, I'm a Protestant. He said, well, are you a, you are, he said, what denomination are you? And he said, I'm a Baptist. And the preacher said, well, I'm a Baptist too. And he said, well, are you of, are, are you of the Northern Baptist denomination or of the Southern Baptist denomination? And he said, I'm of the Northern Baptist denomination. He says, I'm part of the Northern Baptist denomination too. He said, Well, are you part of the Northern uh, Conservative Baptist organization or part of the Northern Liberal Baptist Organization? And he said, Well, I'm part of the Northern Conservative Baptist Organization. And the pastor said, that's that's the denomination I preach with. He said, Well, are you part of the Northern Baptist Conservative? Are part of the Northern Conservative Baptist Council of 1879? Or the Northern Conservative Baptist Council of 1912? And he said the Northern Conservative Baptist of 1912. And at that point the preacher said you heretic and hey, you die. And he pushed him off the bridge. So much for kumbaya in the church. But actually there really should be harmony in the church. And it is possible. In our study in Hebrews today, as we pick up in chapter number 13, uh, uh, up until now, the author's told us everything he could do, or, or told us everything he could tell us about the way into the holiest of all. That's what he's been trying to do. That's the theme of the book, to get us into the holiest of all, into the very presence of God. And that's where we really find kumbaya. Because if we're in harmony with God, if we're truly in harmony with God, then we're going to be in harmony with our fellow man. And so what he's going to do in the last part of this book, he's going to give us a series of ethical rules or exhortations uh, that we're to follow if we really want to have real kumbaya in the church. So, so pick up with me and, and go to verse number one. And, and, and this speaks for itself. He says in verse number one, Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love abide with you. In the church, in your life, let brotherly love continue. Now, to the humanist, the word brotherly love and kumbaya are synonymous. They're the same thing. Uh, they, they believe that if you just try hard enough and you're tolerant of everybody, I mean everybody but Christians, if you're tolerant of everybody and everything they do, then you can live in perfect unity and harmony in this world. It's kind of like, they remember the old song that in the Coca-Cola commercial I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my hand and keep it company. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. You know, if we all sit around and drink Cokes and sing song, there better be something in those Cokes. But but then we'll all get along. Now, is that kind of, Fuzzy. I mean, that's, I that mean, all sounds warm and fuzzy, but is that kind of kumbaya really possible in the world we live in today, in secular society? If you look at this word, the Greek word for brotherly love, it's one Greek word, and it's the Greek word Philadelphia. You ever heard that before? If you haven't, I'm sure you have. That's one of our cities, the city of brotherly love. Now, is Philadelphia really the city of brotherly love? Let me give you their crime statistics for last year. Over 300 murders in that city alone, 1,000 rapes, 10,000 armed robberies, 10,000 assaults, 60,000 car thefts and burglaries. Now, that's a lot of harmony and love, isn't it? No. And and so... uh, Philadelphia doesn't, the city of brotherly love doesn't even have brotherly love. And yet we're told by these bleeding heart liberals that if we'll just lay down our arms and we'll join hands with one another, then mankind will be one in harmony. That's what communism and socialism teach. That if you'll just, uh, you'll, it's based upon brotherly love. If you'll just share everything you have with everybody else, then the world will be fine. Sounds like a song by the Beatles and really not by the Beatles, by John Lennon. You remember that song? Uh, The the song Imagine? Let Let me read you a verse or two here. He says, imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday that you will join me and the world will be one. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. He wrote that song while living in a $20 million New York City apartment. And just a few years after he wrote that song, one of his brothers, one of his deranged brothers, shot him down dead in front of that apartment. I mean, is that kind of kumbaya possible? No. You know why? Because the liberals and the socialists and the communists teach that that in order to have this utopian unity of man, you have to get rid of God. You have to remove God from the society. And so what they're doing, they're refusing to believe in what the Bible teaches, that man is depraved, that he's a depraved sinner, that his heart is desperately wicked. And we all know that until that wicked heart is fixed, uh, there's no possibility for the harmony of mankind. There's no possibility for kumbaya. And so until God comes back, until this world is is, is full of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit then this world is going to be marked by greed and racism and selfishness and crime and wars and rumors of wars that's what we have to look forward to and there's no form of government there's no form of economy that's going to change that that's going to bring about real kumbaya there's only one person who can bring about kumbaya and that's the Lord himself now with that said, the Bible does tell us to love one another, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible, Jesus commanded that we're to love one another. He commanded that we're even to love our enemies. But that's not the brotherly love that the author of Hebrews is speaking of right here. I mean, what the, the brotherly love that he is speaking about here is love between brothers and sisters in Christ. People who are truly born again. Now, what's interesting here is that he, you can't even take that for granted. We have to make a choice every day to put on the new man If, in order for us to be able to love one another the way God wants us to love one another. It's not even natural for us because we still have our flesh. And so in order to do that, we have to put on the spirit of God. We have, we have to recognize and live based upon Uh, the new man and not the old man. Now, there's some in Christendom today who take verses like these and other verses in the Bible and they see it as a mandate for unconditional unity in the church. Now, I certainly believe in unity in the church and the Bible does teach about unity in the church but not unconditional unity unity in the church I mean I don't go along and I don't think the Bible would go along I don't think Jesus goes along with this ecumenical mu- movement that's going on today this idea that, that peoples of all faiths can come together in kumbaya and uh, uh, everything will be okay the, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 he said that there is one Lord there is one faith and there is one baptism. There is one Lord. Who is that Lord? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is one baptism. Now, I think he was speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whereby you get saved, whereby you. And, and there's a lot of semantics around that, and I'm not here to argue that. I believe in a second baptism. Some people believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's lots of baptisms. But, he, but I think he's talking about the initial baptism of the spirit whereby you're given the spirit of God and you're saved Now some people would say he's talking about water baptism and and, and that might be what he's talking about there but you know I can get along with with, in a, with a denomination that believes in infant baptism even though I believe they're dead wrong. if they're right in everything else I can get along with them but I can't get along with Anybody who doesn't believe that you must be born again, that you must be baptized with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus, I mean, I can get along with him. I'm talking about unify with him in the work of Christ is what I'm talking about. I mean, I can't unify in the work of Christ with somebody who doesn't believe you have to be born again because Jesus said you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That means you're lost as a goose unless you're born again. And he told that to Nicodemus, I mean, the great leader of Israel. So there's one baptism, there's one Lord, and there's one faith. Now, where do we get that faith? Or uh, where do we find the basis for our faith? Where do we find that? In the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So these denominations that just kind of throw out the Word of God And what they believe trumps what the word of God says. Or their leaders trump what the word of God says. I can't work in unity with them. I can't do that. I can't work in. I can't have kumbaya with them. I can't work in harmony with them. Now. The Bible even goes so far as to say. That people that. We're not to have any unity or any harmony with people who believe in a different baptism or a different faith or a different word or a different Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Come out and be separate from them. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. You know, we always use that in the context of marriage, but that's in the context of, of, of anything that we do, any work we do with other people. We're not to be yoked together in work, in Christian work, with other denominations that don't believe The Word of God that don't believe in the same Lord, the same faith, and the same baptism that we believe in. He he, he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I don't care what they, he says, well he doesn't say that, I'll say that. He says, come out and be separate from them, do not be yoked together with them. I don't care what they call themselves, they can call themselves Christian, because what fellowship, he says, goes on to say, does light have with darkness? Now, does that mean that we're not to love those outside the true and living church? No, we're to love them. We have a mandate to love them. But at the same time, we're to contend for the true faith. The faith that's given to us in this word. We're told that uh, in the little book of Jude, that we're to contend for the faith. And we're to try to get these other people to the light. So we're not to just blow them off and and hide uh, in this little church to ourselves. We're to contend for the faith. And, and, hey, where to even be kind and loving to strangers? Look at the very next verse. Now, this is, a, this is really, this is one of those verses that's, uh, I don't want to say strange, but it's, it's quite amazing. Look at verse number two. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For in doing so, or for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Wow. Now, there's no better place to have real kumbaya than in your home. I mean, there's nothing, there's, you, you can't have better fellowship than you can have around the table uh, inviting people into your home, uh, fellow believers. Uh, man, that's a great way to have exercise brotherly love. But we're not just exercise this love or love towards our our fellow believers, but to those who are strangers too. I mean, not just to the people we know. It might be fellow believers we, have, we haven't met before, but but to anybody, to everybody, we're to we're to open our homes to strangers. Now, I don't believe that means you just open up your home and pick up any guy on the street or any woman on the street and bring them to your home and 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 uh, uh, invite them in. That could be very dangerous in the world we live in today. When Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, he told them to go to the first house you come into. When you come to the city, go to the first house and see if they'll receive you. And if they receive you, then, then uh, that's where you start. If they don't, then dust your feet and go on. But then he went on to say, do not go door by door. Do not go door by door. And, and why would he say that? That might be a dangerous thing to do. Do not go door by door. Then how would you go? Well, more than likely, what he was planning was for them, to the first house they went to would be the house he led them to. And then that would lead them to another house. And, and so they were being led by the Holy Spirit, and that's the way he wanted it. And I would say in this matter the same thing. You would want to be led by the Holy Spirit. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, invite a stranger in. It's a great thing to do. I mean, if the Spirit says, eh, don't do that, don't invite him in. You know, actually, in the little little book of John, I think it's the third letter, he says if they come with with a different Jesus, don't invite them into your home. Treat them as, you know, treat them as the enemy. You don't even let them into your house. And so you don't just invite everybody in, but you want to have an open door. And you never know. You never know you might invite somebody in or bring somebody to your home, and they actually be an angel. Now, what does that tell me? that tells me that angels take on human form and I, you're going to find out one day in heaven or hell if you happen to end up down there you might not find out there because you won't see any angels there except the dark angels but you might find out one day that you actually entertain an angel that that person you were kind to that person you helped out was actually an angel you know, I'd go so far, you might find that it was actually Jesus Christ in a different form. He could come down here anytime he wants, in any kind of form he wants. I mean, the disciples on the Emmaus Road didn't recognize him, did they? But so he sure might show up at your house one day. And you chase him away. That might not bode well for you in the future. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of astonishing to me that there might be angels in this very room nah not in this room (laughs) I'm teasing I might be an angel (laughs) ask my wife about that one she'll tell you ain't no way dude (laughs) but isn't that something I mean that shouldn't be the reason we entertain strangers but man it's kind of it's kind of uh, it's kind of exciting I would share an experience with you but I'm not going to do it I'll share it Well, I'll show you, tell you about it when we're in heaven but I think maybe I think maybe I bet it's happened to most of you in this room at some time or the other you've entertained some angel, or you've turned some angel away or I've turned some angels away I can't tell that one, I'll get in trouble Alright, let's go, let's go to Let's go to verse number 3 One day I'm going to tell you One day I'll tell you Remember the prisoners Talk about kumbaya You would to have kumbaya with born again prisoners Remember the prisoners As if they, you were chained with them Those who are mistreated Since you, you Yourselves are in the body also I mean, how are we united? How are we in harmony with somebody that's chained? Because we're part of the same body. And Paul says over in 1 Corinthians that when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. We should hurt. I mean, when we think of Sabid Abedini, well, we should think of him as if we're chained with him. Our heart should go out to him as if we're chained with him. I mean, when we see these people that are imprisoned and persecuted all over the world, our hearts go out to, There's something wrong with us. I mean, if we don't, our hearts don't go out to those people. And when we think of Sabita Didi and we pray for Sabita Didi, it would be we should pray for him as if we were the ones in chain. I mean, think of how hard you'd pray for yourself if you were sitting in an Iranian prison for years. We should we should we should pray for him as if we're the ones in there. We should take the time to do that. And anybody else we know in those kind of situations, really anybody else who's being mistreated in any way, we should pray for them as if we're the ones who are being mistreated because one day we are going to be mistreated and we're going to want people praying for us. Now, we got any kids in here because the next one's going to get pretty deep. Any kids? Other than Matt? All right. (laughs) Marriage. Marriage. Is the best kumbaya of all. It's the best way to find love and harmony and and brotherly love. It should be. And marriage is honorable among all. And here's the good news: the bed is undefiled. The, the, he's talking about the sexual bed is undefiled. But then he adds something there: fornicators and adulterers will be judged God will judge fornicators and adulterers God will judge now you know we live in a world that is obsessed with sex but not moral sex perverted sex immoral sex I mean, our media, you can't watch a commercial anymore that isn't trying to use sex to sell something. Immoral sex, not marital sex, immoral sex. Most of us have been around to witness this sexual revolution take place right before our very eyes in our lifetime. And the result of the sexual revolution hasn't been good. I don't care what anybody says. Millions of babies aborted, 70 million babies aborted. This proliferation of rape and incest. I mean, this wave of pornography over the internet and over the media and everywhere. And even this acclamation of homosexuality. This this praising of homosexuality. But the Bible's clear. I mean, this is just one place where it says it. God judges sexual sin. He judges it. He's even judging it now. You know, I know this isn't politically correct, but I believe AIDS is the judgment of God. I believe that. Now do I believe that certainly somebody through a blood transfusion, an innocent person now, can get AIDS? That's terrible. Yes, they can. Because God judges a society. And as a society, we, we, to some degree, take part in that judgment. I mean, AIDS and, and uh, venereal disease and alimony is even God's judgment. <laughs> I mean, you pay alimony, is tough. But... As Christians sometimes, we go so far as to make sex itself inherently evil. And it's not. Amen. Sex is a good thing. Amen? Amen? Wow, I know who's... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to get myself in trouble here. Let's go to the next verse. Amen. <laughs> Sex is sex is sex is a good thing, but in the confi- in the in the uh, confines of Christian marriage. And marriage is honorable. And part of our harmony in marriage is our sexual unity. So it's a good thing in a marriage to have sex. It's a bad thing in a marriage not to have sex. You see, young couples are middle-aged couples or even older couples that you know just they don't even love their wives enough or their wives don't love them enough anymore to to share their bodies with one another there's something wrong with that and there's not going to be harmony in a marriage like that God made it that way and the marriage bed is undefiled it's undefiled it's pure it's good now Let me say this while we're on this topic. We have to be careful here that we don't make sexual sin the big sin, the unpardonable sin. I'd be willing to bet you that most of the people in this room, I would go so far as to say all the people in this room, have committed some form of sexual sin jesus said if you look at a woman with lust you've committed adultery so if you could tell me you haven't ever looked at a woman with lust and you're a man here a woman who hasn't looked at a man with lust then you're a lot stronger person than most people or you're a liar and that's a sin too that god's going to judge in fact god judges how many sins all sins the wages of sin is death And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. One sin will get you to hell. And so all sin to some degree is judged. Thank the Lord, you know, that that, uh, all sins are forgivable. Even sexual sins are forgivable. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He said, Do not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Wow. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But let me give you some other people on the list. Idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. You watch too much TV, you're an idolater. Drunkards, you drink too much, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the real one, the tough one, covetous. You like things a lot? You you live to get new things? You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the good news. And such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been made holy. Thank God I've been made holy. And I've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ not by my works, but by the Spirit of God. So the same Spirit that, that covers my sin covers the homosexual sin. It covers the adulterous sin. It's the same in God's eyes. I mean, I, 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 homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. I, I think it's, it is a, a, one of the top sins. But lying is a sin too. And lying will send you to hell just as quick as homosexuality will send you to hell. But we've been washed. We've been sanctified. We've been justified by the Spirit of God. So I'm going to tell you what. If I've been justified by the Spirit of God, can God judge me? No. I don't care what you're involved in. He cannot judge you. You've been made holy. You've been made holy for how long? Forever. But God, let I me mean, warn you, he can discipline you. And his discipline can be awful tough. You know what, though, I love about the Lord? I, I'd be willing to bet this, too. I know a lot of you in this room, a lot of you come from broken Homes or you've even participated in breaking a home up yourself. From broken marriages. From from living in the gutter. From being a drunkard, an extortioner. Whatever. And you know what is great about our Lord? You come to him and all of that is in the past. All of that is put away. And you know what he he wants to do in your life? He wants to fix it. He wants to make you a man or woman of God. He wants you to live in his presence. God's a restorer. That's what he's all about. I mean, thank goodness he's a restorer. Thank goodness he takes the dregs and, and, and the people who are living in the pit and he pulls us out and gives us hope and a future. That's what the Lord's all about. So be careful we don't go too far judging other people. All right, now, he goes on in verse number six. In verse number five, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. How can you have brotherly love, kumbaya, if all you're worried about is accumulating things for yourself? He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, if you can learn to be content with what God has already given you, that is great gain. You know why it's great gain? Because it frees you from the rat race. It frees you from a trying to accumulate stuff you really don't even need. It frees you up to help others, to exercise brotherly love. So he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For you've got the best thing in the world. If you're a born-again believer in this room today, you have the best thing in the world. You have the Lord himself. He lives in you. And how long does he live in you? Until you mess up and you walk away. Until I heard some forevers there. Everybody agree with that forever? If Jesus Christ comes to live in me, how long is he going to live in me? Forever. Or he's a liar. Because he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know why I believe in eternal security? Because I would blow it tomorrow if it wasn't for the Lord. I can't keep my salvation. I never got my salvation. He gave me my salvation. Because the only thing I had to do was believe and rest in him. And because he gave it to me, and he says he will never leave me or forsake me, he will never leave me or forsake me. And I don't care how bad things seem to get in your life or how far away God seems to, to be, he's still there. Because he will never leave you or forsake you. And because of that, we boldly say, and he quotes from Psalm 27, the Lord God is my helper. Jesus Christ is my helper. And he's always with me there to help me. So I have nothing to fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Nothing that the Lord doesn't allow for my what? My good. Nothing. Nothing. You know, I tell people all the time, I have people come at me and tell me they're having a hard time at work and, and they're being harassed at work and, and having all sorts of problems with their boss and they're having problems with their co-workers and all this kind of stuff. And you know what I tell them right away? That's the devil barking at you. That's all it is. It's the devil barking at you and he's trying to discourage you and he's trying to make you think that all is lost. And he can't touch you those coworkers can't touch you that boss can't touch you that neighbor can't touch you unless God allows it for what for your good and so you can just relax and when they're barking you just kind of laugh and go on then he says remember those who rule over you he's talking about pastors here Remember them to pay them lots of money. <laughs> now that is an interpretation. He is talking about pastors. R- rule really isn't, you know, lead you is, is a better word there. The King, New King James says rule. I don't rule over anybody. In fact, the Bible's real clear that pastors aren't to rule over their congregants. But remember those who lead you. Remember them. Consider them. And some people interpret this as, as you're, you're to remember them when you put your money in the box that they're poor starving pastors and they need a lot of money. I don't, I don't think that's an interpretation here at all but you can do that if you want to. <laughs> remember those who rule over you who has spoken the word of God to you whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, there's two ways to interpret this passage and I, I, part of it is that you consider the pastor you you, you, you take care of the pastor uh, and you follow his example you're to follow the example of the pastor and or the apostle They were talking. he was talking about leaders and apostles and Paul actually says in 2nd uh, two times in 1st Corinthians he says imitate me imitate me and I, y'all hear me say that all the time right? No you don't hear me say that That's a bold talk for a one eyed fat man Imitate me I don't know if Paul wasn't a one eyed fat man But that was bold talk But Paul could say that I would say imitate me sometimes Don't imitate me if I'm in a traffic jam in Lafayette You don't imitate me at all And in some other areas too I won't mention I like to use the traffic jam when that's that's the least of my sins Follow their example. See, but I don't think that's what he's talking about right here. And I'm and i I'm taking it in context. I think what he's saying right here is this. Observe. Here's what you need to do. Consider those. Ponder those who rule over you. And have spoken the word of God to you. And, and, and then determine whether or not they... Practice what they preach? Are they really somebody you need to be listening to? Or maybe you need to go find another church? Are they really real? Are they really sincere? Do they preach the whole counsel of the Word of God? And the reason I say that about the whole counsel of the Word of God, look at verse number 8, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that is so important in preaching because there's a group of people out there, there are a lot of denominations out there that are teaching a Jesus that's different from the God of the Old Testament. And he's not any different. What was an abomination to God in the Old Testament is an abomination to God in the New Testament. And you can't change that. There's no, you, you're wrong if you try to change that. And then the last verse, he says, do not be carried away with various strange doctrines. And this is right in line with that. In other words, don't hang out with preachers that don't practice what they preach, that don't preach the whole uh, uh, word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God, because if you do, you're going to get carried away with various and strange doctors and I'm going to tell you what it's going to be based upon it's going to be based upon the law because look what he says he says don't be carried about with various strange doctors for it is good that the heart be established by law by grace by grace not lascivious that's not what he's talking about there not antinomian theology he's not talking about that but we base our theology upon grace not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. You know, I always get a kick out of these thundering preachers who try to put you under law. I I heard a guy one time when I was back at the church, I used to pastor before I was pastoring there. And he was a revivalist and he got up on the podium and he was jumping up and down and he said, "If, if you don't make Jesus Lord of your whole life, then he's not Lord at all. And the guy weighed about, 300 pounds. Nothing, you know, I mean, was the Lord the Lord of his whole life? Apparently, he was not the Lord of his appetite. And so, you know, I'm not saying he was not saved, or you can't be saved and be fat. All right? Some of us would be in trouble. But, but, but what I'm saying is that you're not saved by law. You don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. So in other words, what he's saying right here, don't follow after leaders that try to put you back under law. That tell you, don't eat this, don't do this, don't go here, don't watch this. The emphasis should be upon grace. Upon resting in Jesus Christ. That's the whole message of the book of Hebrews. Put all your rest in Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God lead you. He's not going to lead you into doing wrong things. And so you're led by the Spirit. If you try to do it yourself, you're never going to make it. But wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't you say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? I mean, didn't he give us the law? Yeah, he gave us the law in the Old Testament. And the law is still in effect. Not one tittle or yod of the law has passed away. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But he gave us the law. I mean, the law is good, but he gave us the law as what? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, as a tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the law. You know what? He gave us the history of the Israelites, I think, for one main reason. You know what that was for? I mean, the main reason, was, the main reason they were there was to bring forth the Messiah. But, but, the, but their history, the reason we study their history, the main reason is to see what it's like to try to live under law how many of them made it under law zero for a thousand years they lived under law and zero made it under the law see we're to live by faith do we find that in the Old Testament oh yes we find that in the Old Testament all the guys who made it in the Old Testament didn't make it by law they made it by faith Abraham the father of faith. He didn't have law, did he? he? The law wasn't even out yet. He lived by faith. And up on Mount Moriah, when he took Ishmael up on Mount Moriah, and God withheld the, the sword, you remember what God told him? on Isaac. Goodness. When he took Isaac up on the mountain. Thank you. Y'all do that every time. When he took Isaac up on that mountain, and, and uh, he pulled back the, the, the knife, and he was going to kill Isaac. You remember what God told him? God told him, on this mount, I will provide a sacrifice. I'll provide a sacrifice. You won't have to provide any sacrifices for sin. I'm going to provide the sacrifice for sin. On this very mount. And that was fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus died for our sins on the cross. That's the message of Hebrews. We're to rest in that. We're to rest that and Jesus on that cross for everything. We're the rest of Jesus for our cross, on the cross for our salvation, for our sanctification, and for our glorification. And then if we do that, we'll get into the holiest of holies and we'll really have kumbaya. We'll have harmony with God and we'll have harmony with our fellow man. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and just the great news of the gospel, Lord, and what you've done for us. And Lord, today we just, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your Holy Spirit because, Lord, it's by your Holy Spirit that as individuals we can fellowship with one another. It's by your Holy Spirit that as a church we can fellowship with one another. It's by your Holy Spirit that churches fellowship with one another. And it's only by your Spirit that we can truly have brotherly love in this world. And so, Lord, we just say, come quickly. Lord, use us during this time before you come to bring as many people as we possibly can to Christ. Lord, we just thank you for his sacrifice. We just thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.